What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Bring in show music, please. Today on Squawk Pod. As a spending bill passes to avoid a government shutdown, schoolyard behavior takes over Congress. Boxers, the kidney punches a, you know, that's, you really shouldn't do that, but it's effective. And former UN ambassador and 2024 presidential candidate, Nikki Haley. I think it's time. I think it's time. I think America's ready. I think that the world is on fire. I think that there are a lot of things domestically we have to do, and I think there's a lot of things around the world. I mean, you've got a war in Europe. You've got a war in the Middle East. You've got China on the march. We've got to get this right. Her take on why she believes she could be a viable candidate against former President Donald Trump. 75% of Americans don't want a Trump or Biden rematch. Listen to America. They don't want to see a 78 and 82 year old go into office. We need to make sure that we are showing a new generational leader that will take these countries head on and start making America strong. Plus, how is the drop in Wall Street bonuses affecting the state of New York? CNBC's Robert Frank with the numbers. The securities industry accounts for 22% of all tax revenue in New York State. Last year's drop cost the state over $450 million in lost revenue. I'm CNBC producer Zach Felici. It's Wednesday, November 15th. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand under by in three, two, one, cue Andrew. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Joe Kernan and Melissa Lee this morning. Becky is on assignment. Your stocks rallied yesterday in a big way after Wall Street cheered that soft inflation data. Dow rising by 490 points. The S&P notching its best day since April up 1.9% and the NASDAQ rising by 2.4%. Brings the gains now for November to 5 to 7 to 9% respectively. That's for the Dow, S&P, and NASDAQ. But Tom Lee, mm-hmm. who said Once it was going to be a rip-your-face-off rally, was right. was right. He was right. He was right. Um, he said if it, if it came, you know, if it came, if the number came in, uh, if it was, new, good, if it was a good, good number, whatever the good number was, it would be good for the market. If it was a soft number, even, even better. better for the market. He's an inflation whisperer now. That yeah. was his last call was about uh, inflation. Yeah, as well. So he seemed to have a feel for what's going on. Right. I did see one, one weird thing, you know, Twitter conspiracy. Was health insurance down 38% or something? Someone said health insurance in the reading. Was, I'm going to ask Leesman about it. Later. Oh, within said, the CPI. Yeah, within the CPI. It was down sharply, which accounted for part of the, uh, you know, that could do 0.1 on its own, couldn't it? It could shave off probably a 0.1. You should ask Leesman, but I mean, it was oil. Oil. Yep, oil. Was a key driver in terms Saw of that. declines mm-hmm. in oil. Um, but the yield, the 10-year yield going below 4.5%, that was really right. the key driver yep. behind this rally. $200 billion in market cap combined added to the Magnificent Seven in yesterday's session alone. So uh, some really sizable gains there. Just not in, in energy, right? No. Nothing, yeah. It was like half a percent gain. Was it a gain? No, half one of yeah. But it was, the, well, on a relative basis, the weakest. The weakest, yes. 
Today, new data showing wholesale prices in October posted their biggest decline in three and a half years, providing another indication that the worst of the inflation surge may have passed. Plus, another story we're focusing on, the House passed a short-term funding bill to avert a government shutdown. The measure is on its way to the Senate, where it's expected to be approved. The legislation allocates funding until January 19th for certain government sectors and until February 2nd for others. After the bill passes the Senate, it will head to President Biden's desk for his signature. And unrelated to the spending bill, a fist fight nearly broke out in the Senate. You want to do it now? I'd love to do it right now. Well, stand your butt up then. You stand your butt up. Oh, hold on. Oh, stop it. Is that you? Every poll. No, no, sit down. Sit down. Okay. You know, you're a United States senator. Sit down. Oh, okay. Sit down, please. And on the House side, a congressman accused former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy of elbowing him in the back in the halls of the Capitol. And I guess a reporter was interviewing Burchard or something. I guess our shoulders hit because Burchard runs up to me after. I didn't know what he was talking about. Some reporters asked me. I did not run and hit the guy. I did not kidney punch him. I did not shoot anything like that. You didn't shove him. No. Here's Joe. I mean, boxers, the kidney punches, a, you know, that's, you really shouldn't do that, but it's effective because it can. I, I still can't get over the, the Mullen piece of this. Although we've had him on. He, yep. he, he's, a, he's a new senator. He, he was in the rough and tumble house. I love the guy. I do. And I love him when he's been on, when he's been on here. Were you with him when he? Uh, yeah, no, I know, but I just, I can't believe this is what's happened to the country. You haven't wanted to take me outside. I know you've wanted to go outside with me a couple of times, a couple of years ago. Definitely, this happens. Things get heated. Not like this. I mean, not like the, the, you, <laughs> you want the, you want your senators to comport themselves. To you've some seen the rest of, of the world. You've seen what goes on in South Korea. I just mentioned it. it they cold cocked right. a guy in the house. And you're comparing ourselves to these other. That's we are not the bastion Great Britain, of democracy around the Great, world. We should yeah, be an example. Democracy is messy. Democracy is messy. And the, and the what about and great, role models for children. Great Britain goes what back. What about a children, child who's seeing this? It's you think well, they, kids are, kids have their own problems with social media? They, they see stuff that but they should just, have never it, which seen. Which is so we're just going to the the absolute bottom. It's like a race to the bottom. <laughs> you want to take this outside, Sorkin, right no, now? If I you want to, what you, I want to know is whether voters look at this. Right. And like they it. say to themselves, this is, is this America? By, by the way, is that what we're saying, Joe? Is this, by the way, there is an argument to be made. Voters I voted for that, these people. Right. They think that these people are, are good, that this is, that these are their role models. Is this what we've decided is like what America is supposed to be? And if that's the answer, I'm not saying it's okay. Maybe that is the answer. The, out of all the things happening now on college campuses and down in, in around New York City and it's everywhere not, else, it's not a and, and what happened in else. the summer of, of exactly. Uh, by the way, even better, even a bigger point. All of these other terrible things are happening. Okay, other so you're watching the decline. You're watching the decline of Western civilization, but it, it's not. I don't think you need to. No, I'm, I'm not Lamented? ready. To, I'm not really to hang it up right now and say that our our system's broken because things get heated in. in I, I don't think that's heated. That's something else. Well, like I said, it, it, how 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 long does well democracy does it goes back away? If you call what Great Britain has in the UK democracy, I mean these you know we're talking the land of kings and queens and and comporting yourself you know where. Every carriage takes, you know, 10,000 years to build. And they still cold cock people. If they look at what goes on down under, this is what, this is just, it's real. We have come a long way, obviously, in terms of civility and everything. 
But now people are sending me everything. This ascended uh, history of things that have oh, happened. Of the incivility of, of before. The caning incident back in, in the 19th century. Um, right. If you want to go back to, you ever been to Weehawken? Remember what happened there? No. What, in what year? Burr and Hamilton. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, there is the idea of progress, hopefully. <laughs> Is there really, though? The well, more things change, the more they I'm say I'm sure that. every generation laments the decline of Western civilization. Exactly. And, and if you go back in, in any political system, I think things really do get heated. But there's like multiple stories, Senate stories about things that, that have happened there. That, uh, and that's a Senate where you know, the patricians are supposedly ensconced instead of uh, the House, where we expect, where we expect some of this. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, the fight for presidency. Former UN ambassador and 2024 presidential candidate Nikki Haley says she won't accept being vice president to former President Trump. I don't play for second. I've never played for second. I'm not going to start now. I am running because this country is in trouble. We're back after this. Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. This is Squawk Pod. Here's Joe. President Biden set to meet with Chinese President Xi Jinping later today. Our next guest says that the president had to beg for the meeting and that China is not worried about what the U.S. is doing. Republican presidential candidate, Governor Ambassador Nikki Haley joins us this morning. Um, Former ambassador to the U.N. and, as I said, former governor of South Carolina. You were here not too long ago on set. So each point in time gets more interesting to have you on and we appreciate you being on set to talk about all these things. Oh, it's always fun to hang out with you guys. And so, you know, look, we have a job to do. We're keeping our head down. We're staying disciplined, but the momentum is real. And we love the fact that, yes, what I'm saying is connecting with people, but I think it's because people want to see America get back on track. They want to see America strong and proud again. And it's going to take a lot of work. This isn't going to be an easy eight years. This is going to be a lot of changes, a lot of shifts, a lot of riding the ship, but I think it can be done. And I think the American people see that it can be done. Eight years. Yeah, I noticed that. Not going to be, let's heard that. Be, so I, I told my wife I wouldn't do this, but she, she has an addendum to your Margaret Thatcher quote. If, if, if you want something said, ask a man. If you want something done, uh, ask a woman or ask a woman to tell the man. To do something in, in my cases is that can we add that addendum or, or that still gives a man too much you know the interesting thing when i was younger you'll appreciate this when i was younger i never saw women leaders 
I just didn't see them in my town. And so I would go, at, I remember in elementary school, I'd go to the library and I'd look for books on female leaders. And the only books they had were of the first ladies to presidents. And I would read them. And what I took away was how much of a partner they were to every right. president, how much they really pushed script. them to do that. You're going to flip that script because it's going to be the, the first husband is going to help you out. I think it's time. I think it's time. I think America's ready. I think that the world is on fire. I think that there are a lot of things domestically we have to do. And I think there's a lot of things around the world. I mean, you've got a war in Europe. You've got a war in the Middle East. You've got China on the march. We've got to get this right. You appointed Tim Scott. I did, yes. So he's gone. So, but, but Ambassador, you add Tim Scott's numbers in, add a couple other people's numbers in. The math still isn't anywhere near where it, it needs to be. And, and I, we're all wondering what seismic shift would need to happen for this to become a reality. I mean, look, y'all said this to me a few months ago. You're like, how are you going to break from the pack? We break from the pack. How are you going to do in the debates? We do well in the debates. How are you going to catch up? We're now second place in Iowa, second place in New Hampshire, second place in South Carolina. We've got one more fellow we got to catch up to, and we'll do that. But the way that happens is as you see this field getting smaller, the 60-day window, historically, look, the 60 days before Iowa, things shift. You see you Speaker Johnson, you see Speaker Johnson on, on yesterday. <clears throat> this is what he said uh, uh, to us yesterday. I don't know if anyone asked him before, but this is what he said. I have endorsed him wholeheartedly. Um, look, I was uh, one of the closest allies that President Trump had in Congress. He had a phenomenal first term. Those first two years, as you all know, we brought about the greatest economic numbers in the history of the world, not just the country, because his policies worked. And I'm, I'm all in for President Trump. I, I know, I expect he'll be our nominee. Yeah. And, and he's going to win it, and we have to make Biden a one-term president. So just to drill down on that, then, then we, we talked about character and we talked about his, his actions after losing the election. And, you know, these are all good points. My, my question to the speaker was, if he knew he lost and he still, you know, the reporting this week was that he said, I'm staying. He told that to Sidney Pound, some other people, attorneys in Georgia. I'm staying regardless of what happens. If he knew he lost and he says, I'm staying, that would be disqualifying. That would be, I don't know what you'd call that, but Speaker Johnson was able to say I can do it because I believe in his heart that he thought he had won and he had been, been cheated. Do you think his actions were disqualifying? I think that people have vetted this enough. I think at the end of the day, only Donald Trump knows what he thought or what happened, but I think what we have to look at is, you know, I think a lot of his policies were good. We all benefited from that. I do think he was the right president at the right time. I don't think he's the right president going forward. Why? Think about it. Chaos follows him. Everywhere he goes, chaos follows him. And in a time where we need to start getting our act together, do we really want to go that route? I don't think we do. I don't think the American people do. And I think when it comes down to it, the one thing that Republicans care about they don't want to see a President Kamala Harris. And, you know, everybody was showing the polls of how, you know, Trump beats Biden in the swing states by three or four points. I was in that exact same poll. I beat Biden by 10 to 13 points. So this isn't about the presidency. This is how do we win the governorships up and down? How do we win the House races, the Senate races, and really shift the, the country back to where it needs to be? If he becomes a nominee, do you support him? I'll support the Republican nominee. I mean, I think that's important that we support the Republican nominee because I think anybody is better than Kamala Harris at this point.
an interesting way to put it. Let me ask you this. If, in fact, he becomes a nominee and he calls you up and says, I want you to be my vice president, would you do that? I don't play for second. I've never played for second. I'm not going to start now. But would you accept, would you take that position? I'm not playing for second. I'm not going to do it. I, I am running because this country is in trouble. I'm running because we right. have an open border and we just saw 240,000 people cross that border. Another dozen people on the terrorist watch list. It only right. takes one. I'm doing this because our kids are reading. 29% of our eighth graders in this country are proficient in reading. I'm doing this because our economy and debt is out of control and families are hurting. I, I am doing this because right. I don't trust no, anybody else. But the else reason I ask you the question is you have been, I think, tell me if you think this is fair, you have actually had a very positive message in your campaign. You have not actually um, been super critical, critical to some extent of, of former President Trump, but, but not the way, for example, Chris Christie has. You haven't really sort of taken on some of his character issues or the legal issues or moral issues. And the reason I asked you whether you would accept being his vice president is because I, I just wonder whether that is a calculated view about she doesn't have to answer you because she's not playing for a second. I, I understand. <laughs> I understand, and I, I understand. It may be a calculated view also because there is obviously a, but, but a population just, that is that wants from, to vote for President Trump because he clearly. But you can glean is, from, is you can glean from right her saying that I will support the Republican nominee that she's passed. Of, no, and of, it's of, offensive every time somebody says, or, you, you know, right, she's right. playing for vice president. Right. No, I'm not. I'm what playing about, to be, you know, I'm fighting to be president. I want, about, I want to talk about doxing anonymous people because that, that got a lot of, of play yesterday. But I also want to talk about, I don't think you or your campaign have, have talked about Jamie Dimon. There's an access report. Do you, like you guys, uh, like uh, phone friends a lot? Do you talk a lot? or Because it, it, he gets, believe me, if he says I like Nikki Haley and she'd be great, that goes a long way, along with Druckenmiller and, and Ken Griffin. Look, I appreciate it. We had one phone call. Um, Jamie called, and we, you know, we talked about the debt. We talked about the economy and how, you know, the country. Who's impressed in with your your knowledge about the economy and, and markets? And Jamie Dimon is probably the greatest risk manager of, of our. Generation. Listen, I love. You know, the idea that a Jamie Dimon and a Stan Druckenmiller would be supportive. We'll take it. But I also think these are men that see what's happening. They see that in a couple of years, our interest expense is going to be higher than our national defense budget. They see what's in the future. And I think that, you know, they know that I'm serious, even if it means talking about the hard truths of what we're going to have to do to fix it. I think they see that. And I appreciate that they see that. And look, we're going to need um, a lot of people to come right. together and figure out where on, we go. From on the here. hard truths, one of the things that uh, Stan Druckenmiller, and frankly, Jamie and others have talked about, is the need to reform entitlements. That's a polite way of studying, saying cutting entitlements in a big and meaningful way. Are you on board with cutting entitlements in a big and meaningful way? Social Security goes bankrupt in 10 years. Medicare goes bankrupt in eight. Anyone that says they're not going to take on entitlement reform means they're going to go in and be president and leave the country bankrupt. You can't do that. Yes, we have to do entitlement reform. But that doesn't mean you touch anyone that's in the system. We should keep our promises. America should always keep our promises. But for everybody coming into the system, like my kids in their 20s, you change it. You say we're going to raise the retirement age to reflect life expectancy. We're no longer going to do cost of living increases. We're going to do increases based on inflation. We're going to limit the benefits on the wealthy. And we're going to expand Medicare Advantage plans so that we have more competition. We have to start looking at a common sense way to right. do it. 
without hurting people, but our kids can know you, they're not going to get it otherwise. I'm not sure. Can you, you, can you make the math work if you just focus on the generation that's walking into Social Security for the first? So if you're 18 years old now, I think you have to probably, unfortunately, uh, approach folks like me and others who might be in their 40s or even 30s already. It's not, it's not true. I mean, that's what everybody wants to think. That's what they want to do is, is pigeonhole you into that. Look, we did pension reform in South Carolina. We changed it for people coming in. Look, but you I'm also not saying you shouldn't do it. I'm saying you might have to do it. No, I mean, look, we have to be realistic. We've right. got to speak the hard truths. But there are so many other things we need to be doing as well. I mean, you look at the fact right now, 70% of the people that work in the federal government are working from home. 75% of our office space in our agencies is empty and taxpayers are paying for that. There are so many things in our economy that we have to fix and there's so much in expenses we have to do. Is entitlement reform one of them? Yes, but guess what? There is a whole line of other things we've got to work on too. The other side of the ledger is revenues and so when it comes to tax cuts, what sort of cuts are you supporting? And it, does it go beyond? Um, because the 2017 tax cuts for individuals will expire in 2025. So the cuts that you're proposing, is it on top of or to make those permanent? I think those tax cuts, I mean, we saw in real time how it helped people. But we're also seeing right now the rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poorer. And so what I want to do is cut the federal gas and diesel tax. I want to cut taxes on middle America and collapse those brackets so that's simpler. And then we should make the small business tax cuts permanent. They made them temporary. Small businesses are the heartbeat of our economy. They made the corporate tax cuts permanent, but they didn't do it for the small businesses. Let's make those permanent. And then we need a president who's going to sell. You know, when I was governor, we were number one on foreign direct investment. But I also sold our products out. We need to be selling American-made products out of this country, too, as much as we want to make things in America. I have a question about the economy, and it actually goes to the inflation report that we just heard yesterday, which is, you know, if you go back uh, over the last year, as you've been talking, uh, a lot of criti criti the criticism of this administration has been an inflation critique, right? It's been inflation's going up, 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 up. This is terrible for the economy. And maybe he deserves the credit or, 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 the, the, or, or the blame for inflation going up. We could debate that. As it comes down, it's does not he coming does down though. The rate of, well, of the, inflation is coming down. Yes, you're not going to have everything still fifteen percent. Reverse. I, I, yes, you're not going to have the prices, are not, prices are not reversing. <laughs> We're I adding agree. another three percent to what I pay for as milk. As inflation gets under control, let's say, right? Do you get credit for that, or do you think as I mean, Joe is going to put it is true. Still by the way, the world a lot. thinks about everything in a very relative way. They don't right. think about it in any other way, right. but. Right. The prices are not. Prices damage are not is gonna, the damage is the done. Prices are not going to go, go down. But then you yeah. could then, then well then we should have a real debate about right. whether he was responsible for right. inflation right. the first time. I mean, I think, first of all, look, I would love to blame Biden for everything that's happened. But our Republicans did that to us, too. I mean, the way they are spending is out of control and there's no accountability. You know, under the Trump administration, they expanded the you know, increased the debt by eight percent. We've seen it expand the government grow 40 percent in the last four years. There's a serious problem. So I don't think Biden alone gets the blame. But I think the fact that inflation is coming down, no one is celebrating. Go to the grocery store, right. go to the gas station, look at insurance prices, look at mortgage rates. None of that is going well. And, you know, if you have a child that goes and does something wrong, when they stop doing something wrong, you don't praise them for it. I mean, what he did was he flushed cash into our economy. 
they allowed people to sit on the couch. We became unproductive. You've still got 75% of the federal government working from home. And now we're looking at the fact that, yes, inflation's come down a little bit. Ask your average American family. The cost of things they have to have have gone way up. No one is feeling relief from this. And we've got to get serious about what it's going to take to fix it. And eliminating student loans is not going to fix it. Going and doing these green subsidies is not going to fix it. A lot of regulation, too. Uh, we won't get into I mean, you could start there. Energy uh, dominance. Right. I mean, that's another place where inflation can be an issue. Is the history of the First Amendment include the ability for anonymity? anonymity? Because heads exploded uh, this week when you said that people online, you get rid of the algorithms that, that maintains anonymity. Social media has become a national Terrible. security issue. Yeah. So when you look at it, first of all, I think social media companies need to show us their algorithms. Be transparent to the American people. How do you do what you do and show it to us? The second thing is what I know, what anyone in intelligence, and we knew this at the United Nations and they've known for a while, Russia, Iran, and China, North Korea too, know that the cheapest form of warfare is to spread misinformation. Look at what happened with Israel. You wanna know where all this pro-Hamas information is coming from? It is coming from foreign actors that are sowing chaos and division. I want freedom of speech for Americans. I don't want freedom of speech for Russia and Hamas. And that's what's happening right now. So the way you fix that is we need our social media companies to verify everybody so that we can get all of those. Well, you're not really out. saying that people can't tweet. Anonymous. I mean, that, that, but, Look, but that's bad that, enough because that, you, you see what it's doing to, to our kids and bullying and everything I mean, else. Do so, I think life would be more civil if we were able to right. do that? Yes. Do, it's the same reason why I think doxing, like, you know, you should stand by what you say. But no, like if you can have anonymous, I don't mind anonymous American people having free speech. Okay. What I don't like is anonymous Russians and China, Chinese how, and Iranians having free how speech. How would the conversation be with President Xi if you were to have that conversation at APEC? I would ask him why he's putting a military base off our shores in Cuba. I would ask him why he continues to murder Americans by sending over fentanyl. I'd ask him why he's stealing our intellectual property and not owning up to it. I would ask him why he's buying so much U.S. soil and, um, and it's next to military installations. There are a lot of conversations we need to have. The problem is Biden, one, begged to go have the conversation by sending four cabinet directors there. They're going to have the conversation. What they're going to come out is an agreement on the environment. That is not what we need to be talking about. China is building up their military at record paces. We better let them know we're on to us. I saw at the United Nations, Biden and Yellen keep telling us that China is a good competitor. When I was at the United Nations, China never saw America as a competitor. They saw America as an enemy. We better start looking at them the way they look How at us. How much are you willing, though, to risk with the China relationship, particularly when it comes to U.S. corporations, to have that conversation? Because those com hard conversations could result in U.S. companies being retaliated against, not, uh, you know, there won't be rule of law over there when it pertains to them in markets that they want to be in, they want to participate in. This is a national security issue. You know, I'm not talking about t-shirts and light bulbs. What I am talking about is our technology, anything that builds up their military, pharmaceuticals. Those are the things we need to be looking at and we need to do it in a strong way. I would go to China and I would stop by selling them 
um, land and I'd take back the land they already purchased. I would go and get them to stop, not just Chinese, but all foreign money going into our universities. We would make sure that they know that we're not going to send them technology anymore and we'd stop all normal trade relations until they stop murdering Americans with fentanyl. The way we need to do this is we need to focus on what they are doing. Think about it. They are the premier power when it comes to our military situation at our ports. They are in charge of all of the global supply chain. If they cut that off tomorrow, where does that leave American companies? We need to have that conversation with our companies and let them know if China pulls the rug out from under you tomorrow, are you ready? And I think a lot of American companies aren't ready. Um, related to that, uh, NVIDIA's CEO, and you know, NVIDIA is now effectively shipping what might be uh, described as throttled chips to China, meaning, meaning chips that are that actually technically can go faster, but don't because of the rules we've put in place. But one of the things that he has said repeatedly is, look, if we don't send them, them these faster chips, it's only going to motivate them and incentivize them to, to create companies that are going to compete even better with the NVIDIAs of the world. I'm not taking sides on this, but I'm curious what you think of the, how you balance those two ideas. One is, if we send them the, these super fast chips that they're able to then leapfrog us in other ways, on one end, on the other end, that these American companies either lose out in the immediate term or maybe longer term if, in fact, China creates bigger and better competitors. Why do we want to help an enemy that wants to destroy us? Why would we want to do that? I don't care how much money you can make off of it. I don't care how many excuses you want to give. The reality is, and this is the problem I had with the, with the chips bill that they did, they went and they incentivized these American companies to produce chips, but what they do? They didn't stop them from producing in China. They lost the whole point of it. The goal is take that ability away from China so that they can't threaten us with it. Take that ability away from China so that they don't win. America needs to win. We need to start focusing on what it takes for America to win and for our enemies to fall to the wayside. Ambassador, you said that is what's going to I guarantee you that's what we're going to get is some kind of toothless environmental agreement because in, the Paris Agreement doesn't even hold China to the same standards as us on emissions, and they're going to continue to build. And you know, the reason why I pulled us out of the Paris Climate Agreement is not because we don't care about the environment. Everybody cares about it's, the environment. It, it, it it's because yeah. we put so many regulations on our companies. The our Obama own. administration did. You know what China's Paris Climate Agreement was? We'll deal with it in 10 years. Exactly. I've so, dealt with China before. So 10 that, years never comes. The president is going to declare victory. That's all he's going to get. It's going to be none of the things that, that you were just talking about. It begs a question. Two, three, four years from now, can President Biden go toe-to-toe -to -toe with world leaders? Do you, do you think that that serves our country well for him to be chief executive for another four years with the state he's in right now? Do you have a comment on that? Seventy-five percent of Americans don't want a Trump or Biden rematch. Listen to America. They don't want to see a 78 and 82-year-old go into office. We need to make sure that we are showing a new generational leader that will take these countries head on and start making America strong. Why would we go and put ourselves in that situation? Why would we look at what's happening with Biden now? I actually think it's abusive what's happening. Everybody, the reason our enemies are as strong as they are right now is because they don't fear America. They don't see us as strong. They know this is the weakest we have ever looked. And the one thing that keeps me up at night is what happens between now and election day. 
because they know if they ever wanted to do anything, this is the time to do it. You got to go somewhere, apparently, because they're telling me that uh, that we got to go. But uh, that was a lot of time. It's Thank always fun to be in. with Great you. Thank you so much. Really Thanks for having Thank you. me. You're welcome. Next on Squawk Pod, why the market rally won't increase bonuses on Wall Street. CNBC's Robert Frank with the numbers. Last year, bonuses were down 26% less money from Wall Street means a lot less tax revenue. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We're live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Becky is off today. The market rally won't help boost Wall Street bonuses this year. For that story, Robert Frank joins us with a look at the continued decline of Wall Street bonuses and what that means for the economy here in New York and around the country. Good morning, Andrew. Good to see you. Well, bonuses on Wall Street expected to be flat or slightly down again this year. A new report from Johnson Associates, the industry consulting firm, found that investment banking will see the biggest hit, with deal advisors being down as much as 25% with their bonuses. Sales, trading, and asset management could see drops of up to 10%. Hedge funds and private equity, they could fare a little better with bonuses maybe flat from last year. Wealth management is a rare bright spot, up 5%. Last year, bonuses were down 26% with the average for all financial service firms at $176,000. Less money from Wall Street means a lot less tax revenue. The securities industry accounts for 22% of all tax revenue in New York State. Last year's drop cost the state over $450 million in lost revenue. Bonus is also a key source of liquidity for real estate, brokers telling me their broker clients or banker clients are putting their real estate plans on hold until they get their numbers. The high end of the market of real estate has been doing very well. It's all cash, so that's a lot less cash for that market as well. Do we have any data yet on, on the revenue loss from bonuses because of flight of people moving to Miami, right. you know, from the financial or elsewhere, out of New York City, out of New York State. Well, we know that New York has lost about a half million people during right. the pandemic and after. Many of those probably bankers. We see the financial, you know, Ken Griffin just said that Miami will, be, ask you about will be the new financial center. That was my follow-up. And, you know, look, bonuses by themselves are not going to force people to leave and they may go to a different industry. But I think, you know, you're making less. New York is costing less for rents, for apartments. Prices are just going up. It's more attractive to be in Miami. What did you make of Ken Griffin's comments about the idea that Miami would be, the, you know, he thinks maybe 50 years from now, the, the financial hub of the, of the world? At the same time, by the way, in fairness, he's building a tower here in New York. He, he is. He's got a huge presence here in New York. But look, he's from Florida. He has become very quickly the Miami booster. Um, he's buying, you know, a lot of both personal real estate there, uh, over half billion dollars of personal real estate between Palm Beach and Miami, and he's buying a lot of commercial real estate for himself and his firm. So he's got a big investment there, and he's been boosting Miami and saying Miami is the is the future for for a he's long. He's really time. smart. He buy about ten miles inland. 
Where, as, as that's going to save him? Where, no, where the coast is going to be. Oh, I see. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't know the what he's doing. Front. I don't know what he's doing in Miami Beach. I thought he was building a billion-dollar home. That's for his mom in Palm Beach. Is there such a thing spent, as a billion-dollar home? It, it, he spent a half billion on the land in Palm Beach just for the house, so he hasn't built the house yet. So half billion? The, the building cost. Yeah, just think about that. Roomy. And he, and he spent $250 million just for the land on Star Island, where he's also yet to build a house. Takes a lot of small moves and so, stocks to, to buy something like architect's that. Architect's best friend right now in Florida. Robert Frank, thank you, sir. And that's the pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 